Uh, well, good morning. Uh, absolutely thrilled to be here with you this morning. And uh, of all the different things that you could be doing right now, uh, and there are many things you could be doing right now, uh, I'm delighted, absolutely thrilled that you have chosen to be here as well. Uh, and I'll tell you why. The church is the very pinnacle of everything that God is doing all around the world, not just today, but in all of history. And if you don't believe me, uh, have a listen to uh, one of my heroes in the faith, one of the great preachers from the last century, a guy called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is what he says. He says, what is happening in the church is so stupendous, so glorious, that even the bright angelic beings who have spent their entire existence in the presence of God, even they are staggered and amazed at what they see in and through the church. Now, if you don't believe me, uh, and maybe you, for some reason you don't believe Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones either, uh, let me tell you what the Apostle Paul has to say on the subject, and so maybe you'll believe him. Writing to the church in Ephesus, uh, Paul describes how Jesus isn't just head over the church, he's head over absolutely everything for the church. Uh, as the message version of that verse puts it, the church isn't peripheral to the world, the world is very much peripheral to the church. And so the church isn't just like some add-on or afterthought. The church is absolutely central to all of God's plans here on the earth, which by implication means that the church is absolutely central to God's plans for Birmingham. I believe that it is God's design for the church to be the bringers of hope, the bringers of joy, the bringers of peace, the bringers of justice, the bringers of righteousness right into the very heart of this city. Which is why I say that I'm thrilled that you made the decision this morning to come and be with the church. But having said all of that, you don't need me to tell you that simply coming along here and attending on a Sunday isn't in and of itself going to make a whole lot of difference to our city. You know, one of the reasons why uh, we meet in four different meetings across three locations on a Sunday is to multiply our impact into the city. It's to make it easier for new people to be added into this community, added into this family. But it'd be wrong to think that just opening a new meeting or starting a new site will automatically cause the church to grow or the city to be changed in any way. I wish it was that simple. Sadly, it isn't. And so it's all very well creating more room for growth in influence and growth in numbers. But if we as members of the church don't do anything about it, we are putting in a whole lot of work making this thing happen for nothing. So really, what I want to do in the time I've got with you this morning is try and spell out as clearly as I can how you can play your part 
to maximise the potential opportunity I believe we all have in front of us right now. And to do that, I want to take you to a stunning passage in Colossians chapter 1. Just to give you a bit of the context, I know we've been looking at this for a few weeks now, just to catch you up with where we've got to, Paul begins by saying that Jesus Christ is fully God. Then he moves on to say that the whole world was created through Jesus. And he then tells us that Jesus is head of the church before then spelling out what Jesus' purpose is in all of this. And that's where we're going to pick it up in Colossians 1 verse 18. And he, the risen ascended Christ Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, you, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. That must be one of the longest sentences ever written. And although slightly complicated and maybe slightly difficult to follow what on earth is being said here, this is, as I hope we're going to see this morning as we get into it and try and unpack it, this is an incredible gospel passage. In short, in a nutshell, is presenting us with Jesus the reconciler. Through his death on the cross, Jesus has made a way for all things to be reconciled. It's a bit of a spiritual religious word. Basically, it means brought together, mended, restored to how they should be. This includes people. Jesus has made a way for relationship between us and him to be reconciled, to be restored, to be made right. That's only a part of the picture. You see, Jesus has also made a way for the whole of creation to be made right, to be restored, to be brought back to how God initially designed for it to be. Just to give you a bit of the context for all of this, if you remember, the Bible begins, it starts with God creating the world perfect and he steps back after he's created everything has a look at everything he's made and he says this is very good and it was that there was no sin there was no sickness there was no suffering there was no pain there was no disappointment there was no depression there was no death and there were no fractured relationships initially between Adam and Eve and God or between one another. It very much was a perfect world. But it doesn't last long. By the time we get to chapter 3 of the story, we see that sin enters the world. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. It's something that's been happening with people every day since. People keep on disobeying God And the result of disobedience to God, of sin seeping into the world, 
is the whole earth being broken, the whole world being disjointed and disconnected and severed and fractured. The world is in a mess. People keep making awful, catastrophic decisions, causing untold hurt to themselves and to others. And the Bible teaches it's not just people. The whole earth is bearing the brunt of all of this. Elsewhere, Paul says, the whole of creation is groaning under the weight of sin. It's like creation remembers back to what it was like before sin ever entered into the world. And it's also looking forward to the return of Christ at the end of time, where there'll be a brand new heaven, a brand new earth. It starts perfect in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. It's going to end perfect with the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city. And in the meantime, in the interim, all creation groans. You can see it in the news. There are natural disasters, earthquakes, tsunamis, life-threatening hurricanes, all kinds of things we we don't understand, all kinds of things we can observe uh, and just be perplexed by. But in Genesis 3, right at the beginning, God hints at the fact he's one day going to send his son. And his son will take the sin of the world, liberating people, and all of creation. And as we flick forward through the Bible, through the story, we get to the New Testament, and we see when Jesus came, that's precisely what he did. He he modelled it with his own life. He preached, if you remember, forgiveness. He preached peace. He preached restoration to broken relationships. And he went around healing the sick, restoring broken bodies. He began the renewal not just of people, but of all creation. He he, he spoke, if you remember, to natural disasters that threatened to wreak havoc on people's lives. He he simply said, be still, and they were. He was modelling something of the future reconciliation, mending of all things and of people. And the Bible tells us that Christ will come again. And when he comes again, he's going to wrap everything up and make everything right. And so when we get to the final few chapters of the Bible, we we begin to see this glorious picture of perfect reconciliation. God living, dwelling among his people. No pain, no suffering, no sin, no sickness, no death. All restored, all brand new for all eternity. In brief, that is the story of the whole Bible. And at this point, in history, today, right here, right now, we, the church, have a vital part to play in this story. And so I guess the question that needs to be asked, and I'll be seeking to answer for the rest of this talk, is this. As amazing as all of that sounds, what expectation of this should we have in the here and now? Because we don't want to hope for too much and end up disappointed and disillusioned and cynical, but we don't want to aim for too little and never achieve the things that God has for us. What expectation of this should we have in the here and now? Well, obviously, we know, don't we, that it is possible for people to experience reconciliation with God right now, or else, let's be honest, most of us wouldn't be in the room here. But let's not be blasé about this. You see, with that knowledge, with that understanding, 
does come very serious responsibility. Writing to the Corinthian church, Paul says, we have been reconciled to God and we have now been given or entrusted with the ministry of helping other people get reconciled to God. It's like when Jesus said to his first followers, come, follow me and I will turn you into fishers of men. He's saying, look, if you'll follow me, I will train and equip and help you to help others follow me. It's kind of what Paul's saying. If you have been reconciled to God, you, all of you, now get to work with God in his agenda of seeing people and all things get reconciled to him. As I say, I think most of us get the people part of this. We know, don't we, that we're called to try to help our friends cross the line of faith, to know for themselves the joy of relationship with Jesus. That being said, perhaps some of you are still wrestling with that one. still haven't quite made up your mind about Jesus. I want to be honest with you, as a church, we are unashamedly wanting to help nudge you if you like, over the line. We'd say to you, be reconciled with God. Have your past washed away, your sins forgiven. Be made new. Be put right. Enjoy life in all its fullness in relationship with God. You can know God today. It's an invitation to everyone, regardless of your background, your history, your doubts, whatever you feel disqualifies you, it's an invitation that goes out to you. However, I think most of us probably get that. But if we understand the gospel, that the good news is simply God reconciling people to himself, as wonderful as that is, our faith, our Christianity, ends up shrinking down into something way smaller than it should be. And it doesn't get into the core of our very being. Because it kind of gets reduced down to, as wonderful as this is, just helping others cross the line of faith. And we know that one day we're going to heaven when we die, and until then we're better placed to handle life's problems. All true, but the gospel is substantially bigger than that. There is an all things going on. What does that look like? What are we supposed to do about it? Let's think about this some more. If you go back to the, the birth of the people of God, the original commissioning of the people of God in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 12, we find God saying to Abraham, I will cause you to be the father of my people and I'll bless you so that you'll be a blessing. Through you, all the peoples of the world will be blessed. I think in that verse, we're getting a massive clue about the mandate for the church today. We've already seen how it's helping people get reconciled to God. But that happens within the larger picture of us blessing all the peoples of the world. God's purpose has always been to have a people made up of every tongue, every tribe, every ethnicity under heaven. Just by way of an aside, that what you think? I reckon that has got massive implications for us as we seek to build this church here in Birmingham. It's a huge challenge, but we've got to get way more intentional about how we reflect what God is doing among different ethnic groups, bringing them together, breaking down divides, reconciling differences under the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But let's break it down even further than that. For us, I guess it's neighborhoods and districts. Specifically, I think it's parts, it's sectors, it's domains of society, the the legal profession perhaps, industry, business, politics, health, education, the arts. God wants us to join with him in actually helping society get healed and mended and put back together again. Now the extent to which we can see society healed that lies in God's hands. It'll only fully get healed at the end of time when Jesus returns. But between now and then, every single one of us has a part to play in bringing in more of the goodness of God's kingdom. We need to ask ourselves, how do I do that as a mother, if you're a mother, or as a teacher, or as a student, or as an accountant, or as a company director, as a salesperson, as an electrician, as a builder, as a musician, as an athlete, as a member of the police force in the health service. What, What does it mean for me in the place that God has placed me to be blessed so that I can be a blessing to the people around me? Because that was certainly the biblical pattern. Think for a moment of some of the great biblical heroes where he referred to Abraham what was he a pastor a preacher no he was a farmer a landowner a businessman Moses he was an academic a nomadic farmer eventually an international leader Joseph again farmer servant prison manager eventually politician Ruth widow refugee, housewife, Esther. She changed history by auditioning to be a beauty queen, something that probably won't be open to many of us, but that's the way she did it. I mean, it it takes all all kinds, all sorts. David, shepherd and musician. Isaiah, prophet, yeah, absolutely, but he also worked in the king's court. Ezekiel, uh, academic, shipbuilder, writer, Uh, and very much into international affairs. Nehemiah, wine taster, great job if you can get it, wine taster, civil service governor, and town planner. Obadiah, he was in charge of the king's palace. Paul, apostle, preacher, evangelist. He was also a businessman. He made tents. Luke wrote one of the gospels in the New Testament. He was primarily a doctor. It's like, these men and women are peppered throughout the pages of Scripture, integral to the advance of God's kingdom. They lived for God every single day of the week. If you ask them, but don't you want to be in full-time ministry? They'd have kind of given you a strange look and said, we already are. You're thinking, but won't Birmingham be changed by bigger churches and more gifted preachers, right? Wrong! Well, we can think that if we can gather a certain number of people in a church meeting on a Sunday, then automatically, magically, the whole city will be changed. It doesn't work like that. It works as 24-7, the other six days of the week, each one of us, as the church, engages in the world around us, being salt and light, being for the good of this city, looking to be a blessing to the people around us, bringing glory to Jesus as we go. You know, 
Often, I find myself in the week in rooms full of other church leaders, and invariably, uh, a well-intentioned leader will come up to me and ask me how well Church Central is going. Uh, and, and often, they're, they're kind of thinking, well, how many numbers are you getting on a Sunday, or how many sites have you got, or what's the quality of your meetings? I'll tell you the question that really haunts me. How well are we doing as a church at seeing unbelievers reconciled to God and our society restored? I think if truth be told, we are barely scratching the surface. The key question for me is, are we just going to be another church in Birmingham appealing to people who like things done the way we do them? Or are we going to actually, physically, practically be for the good of our city? Would the city even notice if we weren't here? Because at the end of the day, we are called to help reconcile and restore our city. Now, please don't hear me wrong. We desperately want to see people reconciled to God. People matter. You matter. That's why we encourage people to invite their friends along here on a Sunday morning. That's why we plough a whole load of resources into events like Is Faith Reasonable and Time for Tea that's happening later on today and our Christmas carol services. I tell you, we celebrate like mad whenever anyone crosses the line of faith, comes into the family of believers. But at the same time, we are about something so much bigger than that. Again, people often ask me why we don't do more in terms of social action or mercy ministries. Uh, And I try and explain that there's actually a limit to what we can do. Yeah, we we run a toddler group one morning a week. Uh, We run a work with senior citizens. We've set up a Christians Against Poverty Centre to help tackle some of the massive, massive debt issues in our city. But there is only so much we can do. And if we go the route that everything has to be run centrally by the church, it ends up being way too restrictive and way too controlling. I believe everything should come through the church. But here's the deal. You are all the church. All of you are. We can't transform the city with some tight, centralized organization. That's way too controlling, way too narrow. You know, a big part of what we do when we gather together like this on a Sunday is we get empowered and equipped for the other six days of the week. But when we're sent out into the city, as I say, to be salt and light, to make a difference, to advance the kingdom of God. So how do we do that? How do we actually physically do this gospel reconciliation the other six days of the week? Well, let me leave you with a few practical suggestions. First and foremost, won't you consider everything you do, absolutely everything you do, as you doing it for God? Later on in Colossians, in chapter 3, verse 23, Paul addresses employers and employees. He says, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's profound. Just let that sink in. Paul is saying, whatever you do, you are doing it 
for the Lord. And not only that, he tells us that God will reward us in eternity for how we conduct ourselves in our work. You see, there is no sacred secular divide. All of life is an opportunity to worship. All of life, if you like, is ministry. All of life, in some way, is service to God. A guy called Martin Luther, he was brilliant on this. It's how he put it way back in the 16th century. He said, the work of monks and priests, the work of Andy and myself, if you like, to put it in modern-day parlance. <laughs> However, I've got the, the hair for it. Uh, However, holy and arduous they may be, do not differ one bit in the sight of God from the work of rustic laborers in the field or a woman going about her household tasks or any of the jobs that you find yourself doing in the week. Not many rustic farmers in the room right now. William Perkins, one of the Puritan leaders, again in the 16th century, he said the polishing of shoes is a sanctified and holy act The action of a farmer performed with faith is a good work before God, as is the judge giving sentence or a magistrate in ruling and a minister in preaching. Or listen to William Wilberforce. He was an MP in the 18th century, and he was coming under quite some pressure from his friends to become a church leader because that's where all the action is, right? Well, this is what he concluded. He said, my walk is a public one. My business is in the world. I must mix in the assemblies of men or quit the post which God has seemed to assign me. This is our calling. View what you do as being for God and then try and look for ways to affect all things through your work. Again, what might that look like? give you some more suggestions. First of all, do it excellently. Whatever you're doing, do it well because you're doing it for Jesus. You know, society works best when people work excellently. Do what you do excellently. Take pleasure in your work. Serve others. If you're an employer here, if you're a manager, if you have people in your team who report to you, invest in your employees, invest in your team, invest in their development, help them to be all that they can be. Be helpful to the people you work with. If someone needs to stay late one day to lock up, volunteer to be the one, be a help where you work. Don't gossip. Try and be upbeat Don't be the one who's always grumbling and complaining and moaning. Serve others directly and indirectly through your work. In fact, view what you do as serving society as a whole. You know, work in and of itself, I've been trying to show you, is a holy endeavor. Remember, work was invented before sin ever came into the world. Work is a gift to us. It's pleasing to God. In and of itself, it's a holy thing. It gives us dignity. But there's also a sense in which we are serving society. I mean, imagine if absolutely everyone down tools tonight didn't go to work tomorrow. How would we eat? How would we travel anywhere? You might think, well, all I do is stack shelves in Tesco. All I do is drive a bin lorry. 
I only work for the highways agency. Now, God wants you today to see a bit of the bigger picture. He wants you to know that what you do matters. Imagine if we all stopped working. What would we eat? What, what would we do with our rubbish? How do we travel in it? View what you do as your service to the people around you, your service to this city, your service to society at large. And act with integrity. You know, we have a tremendous opportunity to model a different way of working. Be honest. Be fair. Be just. Wherever you can, be ethical. Listen, many of you know this already, but I am massively limited in what I can do. Big part of my role is... I don't laugh too much. It wasn't supposed to be that funny. <laughs> Big part of my role is simply to encourage and equip and release the church to do the things that I wish I could do. You know, if I had practical skills, I could do a good, honest job for people and not rip them off. I'll tell you, Birmingham needs many more tradespeople who don't exploit the weak and the vulnerable. If I was a teacher, over my career... I could be a positive influence, I'm going to say on hundreds of children, probably thousands of children's lives. Maybe one day I could aim for a management position, have more of a say in how things are taught, how the school runs. It's great having a couple of head teachers in the room this morning. What you do is very much part of what I'm saying today, being for the good of the society we live in. If I had the brain to do a master's or a PhD, I don't, but if I did, I guess I could write articles or books that shape the way people think at a much higher level. If I was a local councillor or a politician, I, I could have more of a voice for righteousness and justice. If I was a doctor or uh, medical in any way, I'm incredibly squeamish, I'd be the worst person, I'd just faint the whole time, but if I was a doctor or medical, I, I could help treat the whole person. You know, we, we celebrate whenever people are healed when we pray for them. We should also celebrate just as much whenever people receive healing as a result of doctors and nurses and the medical professions. It's part of the restoration, the reconciliation of all things. If I was a lawyer, I could give a voice to the voiceless. If I was a journalist, I I could try and write articles that challenge the assumptions of society. If I was an author or a film director or a musician, kind of I wish, but if I was, I could produce works that Reflect something of the beauty of the ultimate creator. We're made in his image and we have an opportunity to create things of beauty that reflect his beauty. Or I could produce stuff that shows something of the shallowness and the futility of the idols that people are living for. But I don't have any of those skills. Those opportunities, barring a miraculous intervention from God, those opportunities are never, ever, ever going to be open to me. But that's not the case for many of you. You see, the potential, even in this room right now, it is massive. It's as you go and use the gifts and skills that God has given you out there in the world, looking to use them to further his agenda, to impact all things with the gospel, that will slowly but surely begin to see this city changed. I'll tell you, that will have way more impact 
than if you all gave up your day job and became church leaders. That would be an absolute tragedy. You know what Birmingham needs more than anything else is an army of people scattered across the city making a difference in communities and estates and schools and hospitals and shops and offices and businesses. A bit like Nehemiah and his group of ordinary men and women working side by side, shoulder to shoulder, restoring the city. What I'm trying to get you to do is see everything you do absolutely everything you do as being for God. So what I've been trying to do is just broaden your perspective a bit. I'm trying to help you grasp the call to see God's kingdom come in every area of this city. But I want to finish by focusing back in on the need to introduce the people around us to Jesus. Because Jesus came to reconcile to himself all things and unavoidably that did include people. And so the second thing that I think we can do to live out this ministry of reconciliation is, and we've talked about this around here before, invest and invite. Very simply, invest in friendships with people outside the church. It's okay, you can do that. And then when the time's right, invite them into an environment where they're going to encounter Jesus for themselves. Because at the end of the day, God has entrusted us with this ministry of reconciliation. And there are specific individuals in this city and further afield that you are best placed to reach. And so I'd urge all of you, from the youngest in the room to the oldest in the room, not looking in any particular direction there in case I get into trouble, I'd urge all of you to get way more intentional about this. I want you to see the church as so much more than a meeting you attend once a week as and when it's convenient. We're family together, we're community, we're the people of God on a mission, chosen by him to be a blessing to the people around us.